Well, good morning, my friends. Y'all forgive this cold I got. I promise it's not COVID. I got tested. I just got one of those regular old colds. It's kind of a relief when you get one of those regular old colds in the middle of the pandemic. It's kind of nice to get that virus, you know, so. But yeah, today we're continuing in our series. We've been in a, a series these last two weeks leading up to this week on silence and solitude as we focus on praying together uh, in the beginning of the year. Uh, and today, after having been in Luke last week, we're in Matthew. If you want to look at Matthew 6 is where we're going to be, Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. So you can find that. It might be good to have your Bibles open anyway, because we're going to do a little bit of flipping today. Um, we're going to look at verses 7 and 8, real short passage. Chapter 6, verse 7 begins this way. Jesus explaining to his disciples what it looks like to pray. He says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask in these moments that you would enable us to, to hear your voice with clarity. We pray that the, the truth of your gospel would really set in upon us, Lord, that we would be changed in the hearing of your word. That somehow that which is, has been so familiar to us would be made new this morning. God, we'd hear it with new ears. We'd see with new eyes the reality of your kingdom come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't know what y'all's stories are like. I don't know how you came to faith, how you started following Jesus. I think for every person in any given room at any given time, there's a wild variation of stories, right? For me, what it meant to come to Jesus was not exactly conventional. Uh, it wasn't kind of the normal story. Um, I was neither the rebellious kid that ran away uh, from the church and eventually begrudgingly was converted to faith in this surprising kind of way, nor was I the, the standard church kid who was in church like every Sunday at every event and eventually like, you know, came to Jesus at summer camp or like a vacation Bible school or whatever else, right? All of these stories you hear. For me, the first person who made me consider faith seriously was a friend. I, I had this group of, of friends, and they were the ones who were really kind of pressing Jesus upon me, right? That was the first thing that made me take this seriously. And what that meant was, as I came to faith, my spiritual directors were all 13. I, I, I had that going for me, a lot of collective wisdom among my middle school seventh grade friends, okay? One of them actually had an older brother, though. He was also a teenager, though. Let's be real about it. He was 18. He had just started college. For us, he was old, okay? And he says, let's read the book of James. Again, this is not advisable nor conventional in terms of things. Like when, when somebody comes to faith, when they decide they want to follow Jesus, a lot of times they'll say, well, what should I be reading? Like the Bible's kind of big. There's a lot there. What should I be reading? And people will say, well, read the gospel of John, man. It's really good. It's all about belief, right? Read one of the other Gospels, read Romans, read Ephesians, right? 
James is not telling us about the life of Jesus. James is not telling us about salvation or the cross. James is telling us about the everyday life of a believer, what it looks like practically to follow Jesus. And James said some things that just made sense to me. That's what was so interesting about it. James just worked for me. One of the the first verses I remember stumbling into, it's in the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 19. And if it tells you anything about this particular stage in my life, the only Bible I had, you know, readily accessible was a King James Version that I had been given on the day I was born, okay? I had not opened it many times between that day I was born and that day when I was 13, right? I did not open it at any other point than when I was sitting in church, right? It's pretty uncommon. And I remember looking at that, and every time I think of James 1, I remember those words the same way, right? Right out of King James Version kind of language. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry. See, like, I wasn't ready for like the deep mysteries of the faith, right? If you'd fed me Ephesians or Romans, like honestly, I would have been a little like stunned. Or if I'd heard the Sermon on the Mount and some of the things Jesus was talking about, turning the other cheek, none of that would have made sense to me, right? But James, that just makes sense. Okay, I, I need to, to listen more than speaking all the time, right? That was the way I could see it. James was teaching the virtue of silence, the value of learning to be wise with our words, not always needing to be a people who are speaking, right? Rather than always needing to speak and be heard, we need to learn to listen and hear, right? Listen and hear rather than constantly needing to speak and be heard, right? And that's a hard thing in a culture that values speaking and being heard. And if you read a little bit further in James, you get to chapter 3, and he goes on to explain that the tongue is, is, is a restless evil. No one can tame the tongue, he says. Our mouths are one of the most difficult components of what it is to follow Jesus, right? The things we say are so central to our problem. He says it's like the rudder of a ship or like a bit that you put into the mouth of a horse. Even though it's small, it makes a tremendous difference. It changes things, right? Right? Your mouth can get you in a lot of trouble, James is saying. Learn wisdom with it. And he says, if you can, if you can learn to discipline yourself in this way, if you can learn control of your mouth, if you can learn to be wise with your words, well, then you're capable of complete self-control. That's the thing you've got to get past. It's so difficult, he says. And what James is teaching us about Again, the day-in, day-out reality of what it means to follow Jesus, that we need to learn to be listening people, Jesus is teaching the same thing about prayer. Jesus is trying to help us see the value of of silence as prayer, learning not to be a people of many words in prayer. He says, when you pray, don't go on babbling like the pagans do. They think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't go on babbling, he says. The idea is this, prayer for us is not a matter of quantity, it's a matter of quality, right? Jesus is is trying to say, just because you say lots of things, just because it sounds eloquent or impressive, just because you've got a lot to say in prayer doesn't necessarily mean you're somehow more mature. Prayer doesn't necessarily look like that, and we can make that mistake. It's not about quantity, it's about quality. Brevity is this essential sort of value in prayer for Jesus. You need to learn the... the reality that, that more words, 
doesn't necessarily mean somehow a more profound prayer. And I, I was thinking about it this week. It's like I feel like everybody in the room hears what Jesus is saying, hears that word brevity, and goes, yeah, that's me, brevity. I know brevity, right? I mean, I pray like 10 seconds before every meal. I'm pretty good at this. I feel great about this. If you want to learn about brevity, that's my wheelhouse, all right? We can talk about brevity. I'm very mature, apparently, because that's what prayer looks like. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying pray less. That's not at all what he's saying. I really love what Augustine says. St. Augustine says it really well. Simple phrase here. Remove from prayer much speaking, not much praying. Remove from prayer, not your praying, right? He says remove from prayer much speaking and not much praying, right? Augustine's trying to open our eyes to the idea that listening is prayer. Every bit as much as speaking is, and we miss that. It's so hard for us to kind of make sense of that. Remove from prayer much speaking, but not much praying. Jesus is not laying out for us like a, a certain amount of time you ought to pray, right? He's not saying this is what it's supposed to look like exactly, right? He will give them a prayer, a kind of formula laid out for them, what it's supposed to look like, the Lord's Prayer. We're familiar with that. But he's not saying it's only supposed to look like this. We know that Jesus sometimes prays very short. We know sometimes he prays all night. Jesus isn't doing that sort of thing here. It'd be easy if he was, but he's not. He is saying here, though, that prayer ought not to consist just of me talking endlessly. The prayer ought not to just be me mindlessly going through some list of things that, that, that trouble me or people I want to pray for. That's good. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's not the fuller sense of prayer that Jesus is teaching here. Prayer is listening to. Prayer is, is learning silence in the presence of the Father, learning to be quiet in the presence of the Father. This is what Jesus is kind of getting at. You don't need many words to pray. And I think that's such a, a beautiful thing because for many of us, we feel like we're not very good at it. And Jesus is saying, sometimes you just need to sit there and listen. There's something good about that. A huge part of what Jesus is doing here is, is trying to kind of dismantle all these misconceptions that the disciples have about prayer, right? He's trying to undo a lot of what maybe they've learned throughout the course of their lives, right? When he says, don't pray like the pagans, the Gentile people that you've, you've seen all around you, right? The people of Israel were surrounded by nations that didn't worship their God, right? And those people prayed differently. Inevitably, that kind of affects things, just like it affects us. We think about prayer sometimes in incorrect ways. There are a lot of misconceptions. And for pagans... Prayer very often became like a matter of performance, a matter of work. The idea was something like this, like the gods will only hear you if you prove to them that you are worthy of their hearing. you got to work hard for it. You have to gain their hearing, right? The, the Greek philosopher Seneca was famous for saying you have to wear out the gods. If you want a, a god to pay attention to you, you have to wear them out. You gotta say it enough, long enough, hard enough. You gotta invest time in the thing. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not what prayer is supposed to be. It's not a matter of, of many words. But the disciples would have been familiar as well with their own tradition and how it became performance, how it became work. In the Jewish tradition, in the time of Jesus, there was a whole lot of praying happening. You guys are familiar maybe with the Shema, it comes from Deuteronomy. They would pray the Shema twice a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And they would pray that in kind of an extended form, the Shema Confessions, right? Twice a day they do that. And then 
They pray what they call the 18 benedictions. It's exactly what it sounds like. The 18 benedictions are a collection of 18 separate like prayers, separate blessings, benedictions, okay? 18 of these things. And together, they're pretty lengthy, okay? They pray the 18 benedictions three times throughout the course of the day. And then after praying the Shema confession twice, the 18 benediction three times, they would eventually pray table prayers, but not like we do. They didn't pray at the beginning as they sat down for a meal. They prayed before, even after, and very often during a meal. Now, there's something about that that is beautiful. Let's be real about that. Like prayer was woven into the fabric of their day, but prayer also became for them a matter of work, an item on a list, a requirement to be met. Have you prayed each time you needed to? That formulaic sort of way, like sometimes we want that, honestly. We want a tradition where it's like you need to pray five times a day, right? That Muslim tradition is almost attractive, right? The Jewish tradition of praying the way they did is almost attractive because it's like simple. Here are easy requirements to be met. And Jesus says, no, that's not what prayer is supposed to be. It's not made to look that way. Prayer was never meant to be a burden to us. And I'm afraid very often it has been for us a matter of performance, work, a burden, a requirement we feel like has to be met for us to be decent people. Are you a real follower of Jesus? Are you a decent Christian? There's a lot of guilt, I think, tied up in prayer. And Jesus is saying it was never meant to be a matter of a burden, right? Prayer is a father lifting a burden from his children's shoulders they can't bear, right? That's what prayer is supposed to be, the lifting of a weight from our shoulders rather than God dropping this heavy yoke on us. But what we're seeing here is Jesus is once again lifting the heavy yoke off of our necks and replacing it with his easy yoke. That's what's happening. Prayer is not supposed to be a burden. And the reason you're so exhausted so often, the reason you feel so guilty is that for you, prayer has become a burden. I have lived that. Felt like I'm not doing this enough. Felt like nothing is happening in it. Prayer was never meant to be that. Something you evaluate according to, to your measure, your rubric. No, Jesus is doing something different. He's giving us his easy yoke. And all of that wasn't really new. In the Jewish tradition, this is a, a common thing. If you read Ecclesiastes, if you want to flip there, you can. I'll read a, a short passage from Ecclesiastes that I think is, is really helpful in all of this. This is Ecclesiastes 5, and I'm beginning in verse 1. The teacher says it this way. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth and do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on the earth. So let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. Do not be quick with your mouth Hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. Let your words be few. Go near to listen, Ecclesiastes says, right? If you've read Proverbs, right, if you're reading through Scripture, you read Proverbs first and you, you come to Ecclesiastes. A very similar book in the way it's written and laid out. Proverbs shows us this thing. It does this interesting thing where it's like juxtaposing, showing us side by side, a fool and a wise man. This is the life of the wise man. This is the, the life of the fool, right, over and over again. And one of the things that's characteristic of a fool is that he's constantly talking. 
He constantly needs to say something. He constantly needs to be heard by other people, right? Proverbs warns against that. And Ecclesiastes picks it up and says, that's, that's applicable as well to how we relate to God. If we relate to one another that way, it inevitably affects the way we relate to God. It affects the way we speak to God. And Ecclesiastes says, God is in heaven. You are on the earth, right? In essence, God is God, and you are his creation, right? Let him speak first. You don't need to utter so many words in his presence. God is God. He knows, right? Let your words be few. Learn to listen to him. But we, we live in a culture where narcissism is, is like treasured. Like we love narcissists. If we didn't, we wouldn't constantly follow them on social media. We wouldn't constantly watch them on the news. We wouldn't constantly vote for them, right? We love narcissism. We love whoever talks the loudest and comes out with something the fastest, right? That, that's what we love, the person who constantly has something to say. We reward them with power and with influence over and over again. We love those people who fire off a tweet immediately, right? They don't consider the consequences or the misunderstandings that might come with such a tweet. They just fire it off. Just drop your hot take real quick, as long as you're the first person to say it, right? We, we live in a culture that values that. People who shout over the top of one another constantly. You find that? that that's become like normative in conversation? To just cut everybody off? And Ecclesiastes is showing us something. That tendency affects not just our relationships here and now, right? Nobody wants to be around that person in real life, right? Maybe on television, sure. Maybe through a computer screen, fine. In real life, you don't like those people that you can't ever get a word in with who always have to have something to say. But not only does it affect our relationships here and now, he's saying it affects our relationship to God. We have to learn to listen, right? If we can learn wisdom with our words, if we can learn to listen and to sit silently, quiet in the presence of the Father sometimes, if we can learn to listen there, then maybe we become better listeners in our relationships. Maybe we become better listeners in the context of work. We become better listeners in the context of, of church and family, home life, right? This is important. He's saying it will affect things. Our judgmental tendencies, they begin to fade as we learn to listen and understand those around us rather than constantly needing, needing to explain things, constantly needing to say how we see it. I think we'll find we pray less like the Pharisee in Luke 18 and more like the tax collector in Luke 18. Do you remember that story? Jesus tells this, it's kind of a, a parable. He says there was a, a man and he, he went up to the temple to worship. And this Pharisee stood there and he prayed this, this very eloquent and judgmental prayer. He says, Father, I, I thank you that I am not like other people, right? I'm not like these robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even, he says, this tax collector who he sees standing off in the distance worshiping. I thank you that I'm not like all of them or like him, for I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get right? But the tax collector stands at a distance. He beats his chest, and he says simply, have mercy on me, a sinner. Less words, 
but more truth. Less words, far simpler, but more worship. And Jesus says, he's the one who walks away justified. He's the one who's really righteous in the end, not the one who looks so impressive, who fasts twice a week and gives a tenth of all he gets, right? Less words, more truth, more humility, more worship. That's the reality. He's trying to show us these things are connected, right? But as I sit here and I talk about, about silence, again, I, I know sometimes I can stand up here and pontificate and kind of like talk about how beautiful all of this is, and you're going, yeah, but practically, what in the world does that even look like? It sounds kind of abstract. It sounds kind of vague. What do you mean I'm just supposed to listen? That's what pray, praying looks like? I'm just supposed to listen? Like, what exactly are you getting at? And I, I understand What does it mean if I'm saying we can hear God, that God speaks to us? Because obviously you're going, surely you don't mean audibly. Obviously such a thing has happened, but it is not a common experience for believers, not at least any that I take seriously if they make such a claim, right? Like, like what does that even mean that we can listen and God speaks, right? And I, I think that's part of the reason I keep coming back to where we started, right? You have to go back to the start. In this series, we started with 1 Kings 19, and I just keep coming back there in every, every moment that I'm reading all these other passages. I just keep coming back to Elijah. If what you think it means for God to speak to us is the earthquake and the wind and the fire, you'll be sorely disappointed. If you're expecting God to, to open the heavens each time, right, obviously that's not the case because Elijah teaches us. God was not in the earthquake. God was not in the wind. He was not in the fire. He was in this whisper he heard. It was the whisper that beckoned him out of that cave, that drew him into the presence and the glory of God, right? A whisper. That quiet voice. This is how God speaks in this subtle, quiet way. It doesn't mean he doesn't speak like he did at Sinai, right? Thunder and lightning, right? This booming voice, right? You see that in Scripture. God is... It's prone to speak that way as well, but far more often, he seems to speak in this quiet and subtle way. But I know, again, the question in your mind is, okay, I I hear you. I have tried such a thing, right? This is not the first time you've heard somebody say, prayer is, is listening, right? And you say, when I sit quietly and I try to listen, all that happens is that distracting voice in my head that we're all so familiar with just seems to lead me down some crazy path, right? Every time I get quiet, the voices just get louder. The distractions just get louder. Over and over again, this happens. And I totally understand. I'm a distracted human being. Ask my wife. She sees probably daily that that look on my face, that blank stare when I walk into a room because I've forgotten why I'm there. It's easy to be distracted for me. And that has also been true for me for years in prayer. It's a thing like I've had to sort through. I've had to process. I totally get it. Like I understand. Like don't let that turn you off. Don't let that push you away or discourage you. Because the the, the question in my head for years, like maybe you've wondered this too. How in the world am I supposed to discern the difference between that voice in my head that I've known since childhood, right? How am I supposed to discern the difference between what is just a random thought entering my mind And what is really the voice of God, his very spirit speaking in a moment. How do I know the difference? How do I know which one to listen to? How do I know which one to kind of press into more and more? I get it. I I totally understand. For the longest time, it was really 
almost impossible, it felt like. It was discouraging for me. What I've realized over the last few years is like, over time, as I keep on doing this, as I keep learning silence, as I keep learning quiet in the presence of the Father, I find it's not as difficult to discern the difference any longer. I've become so familiar with that voice in my head I've become so familiar with the voice of the Spirit that I, it's easier for me to recognize the difference, right? And in some sense, the way I express it is that voice in my head is continually being sanctified by the Spirit. If I believe that the Spirit of God is in me, that means that voice in my head, my conscience, whatever you want to call it, that voice in my head is becoming more and more sanctified, such that those two voices, which went once upon a time were constantly shouting over the top of one another in this distracting way as I sat in the quiet, now no longer are they doing that. They speak in harmony with one another, right? Such that the voice in my head when I'm hearing something, it's very clear to me, this is, this is God kind of leading me this, this direction. It's this quiet, subtle way. You begin to sense it's, it's God, and you know you need to give yourself to it. Over the years, it's not so much shouting in my head, there's this harmony that comes, right? And again, I know that sounds real metaphysical and, and, and crazy. I, I get it. I understand that can sound kind of crazy. And I'm saying, still, you should try it. I know it's easier to go about prayer the way you've always done it. I know you have a rhythm, and I know it's just kind of like your expectations are easily met by just sticking to the normal thing, right? Try praying differently. I think that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Prayer was supposed to be something different. And I know you're used to like going about it one particular way, right? You got your list and you just kind of move through it. You've got your little formula and, and, and you just kind of move through it. And I really think you need to take listening seriously. The, the first problem we run into, and, and maybe this is like this for you too, prayer is an item on a list for many of us. And it's very often the first one, right? It's the first thing. It's a priority, right? It's what we come to first. But the problem is, just like every other item on the list, it has an allotted time. you got to get all those, those little items taken care of, right? And so you come to prayer in a hurry. You come to prayer in a rush. There's this sense, a need for efficiency, right? I've got to get through all of this. I want to say all of these things. I want to process all of these things with the Lord. I want to acknowledge all of these things in this moment. And i only got a, a set amount of time to do it. And Jesus is saying, instead of coming with all of that, Come immediately and shut all that down. Just sit and listen. Before you ever utter a word, like Ecclesiastes is saying, don't be hasty to utter a word. Just sit quietly. Sit in silence. Because if we believe what Jesus is saying, right? Jesus says, your father knows. God knows what you need before you ever utter it. If that's true, then why would you feel like you need to utter it before he can speak to it? God can speak to these things, and we have to give him space to do it. Create space in prayer for God to speak before you ever start speaking, right? And then begin to move into prayer. Then begin to name these things that are on your mind, your heart. Then begin to worship. Then begin to, to thank God for his goodness, right? To name your anxieties, your concerns, the needs of those around you, your own needs, right? Then begin to move into all of those things. And when you're done with that, I'd say bookend it once again listening. Because again, if we believe what Jesus is saying about prayer, remember he'll say that our Father 
is a good father who gives good gifts. If that is so, that what he's saying is that God responds to our prayers. He doesn't just hear our prayers. He responds to our prayers. Not necessarily in the way we want him to, but he responds to our prayers. So you have to create space for him to respond. And I think the reality is, if you try this, what you're going to find is it's really discouraging because you're like, I spent most of the time just in silence. doesn't feel like I did much praying. And I think what Augustine would say and what Jesus would say is that, no, the listening is praying. You need to learn that, right? You'll grow into these things. Like, keep pressing into all of this. Give space. Listen for the voice of God. Let him in this quiet, subtle way kind of lead you. And as I was thinking about all this this week, I just kept coming back to Luke 15. And Luke 15 has nothing to do with prayer. Let me be up front with you. Jesus is not teaching us about prayer in Luke 15. It's the story of the prodigal son, right? You know the story. Very few people don't know the story. A rebellious son abandons his father and his family, betrays his father, takes his share of the inheritance. He squanders it in rebellion, living this wild life, and obviously runs out of money. He has no options left except to go right back home. He knows that will not be an easy thing. He knows his father's not just going to let him back in, right? And so along the way, back home, along the way, Jesus says that he begins to compose the most eloquent apology he can imagine. And he comes up with this as he's walking along. He says, this is what I'll say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son but make me like one of your hired servants. It's simple, it's humble, it's truthful, it's honest, right? And so that's what he's going to say. Now, the part of the story we all remember so well is that as the son comes with an eyesight of his father, as if his father has just been waiting for him, looking for him day after day, his father's standing there waiting for him, sees him and begins to run toward his son. That's a really beautiful moment. But what I find really intriguing about it is the son is still trying to say what he needs to say, right? His father is embracing him, and he's like, no, 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 wait, Dad. I got something to say. I got to say something first. I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father cuts him off. The son never gets to finish his speech, right? Right as he's about to get to that point where he's going to ask to be a servant in his own father's house. The father cuts him off. Why? Because the father knows why he's come. He knows exactly what he's going to ask. He knows exactly what he needs. And Jesus is saying the same is true in prayer. The reality is in prayer, sometimes we need to be quieted, silenced by the embrace of the father. And we spend all of our time trying to explain ourselves, trying to apologize. I'm not saying don't confess. I'm not saying don't pray. I'm not saying don't speak. All of that is prayer too. But inevitably in prayer, we need to be quieted by the embrace of the Father. In prayer, we need to expect that God will interrupt what we've prepared for him. He will step in in those moments and he'll quiet us. He'll cut us off sometimes to speak. And we have to create space for it. This is who he is. We need to trust that he knows exactly why we have come. Let him speak to it. Let him interrupt our prayers. Listen. Wait for those moments, those words of grace that he speaks. Because prayer is, by definition, an act of grace. 
It's nothing else. It's not meant to be a, a work, okay? It is an act of grace by definition. It is a God who's allowing orphans to call him father and to have all of the privileges and rights that come with that kind of relationship. Prayer is an act of grace every time. Don't make it anything else. You don't have to. That's what Jesus is saying. And if you are truly a child in prayer, if he's truly your father, it means you will always be receiving. But how can you receive if you're constantly talking? How can you receive if you're never listening, if you never open yourself up to hear what it is he wants to share with you? In prayer, we inevitably speak, and you ought to, right? Prayer is, is central in our lives, and you ought to be, to be talking through it. You ought to be naming the concerns, the desires of your heart. You ought to be interceding for those around you and for our city and for our world. All of these things are important, right? But learn that just as important, just as central to prayer is God's voice. Learn to be quiet in his presence. Learn to be silenced, to hear and receive from him. It's important, and I think it will become less of a burden as we do it. I think we'll stop evaluating ourselves as to whether or not we're good people, good prayers, whatever else it is. And it'll just be this deeply freeing sort of moment that we share week after week, day after day. And the table's no different, right? As the band comes in and we move to worship, the idea in this moment is for us simply to open our hands. This is a place in which you only receive. At the table, the body and blood of Jesus is being given to us again and again, week after week. We're coming and acknowledging that in the presence of the Father, we will always be receiving. He has something to offer us, and we have very little to bring to him. And I'd invite you in these moments, before the band ever begins to play today, we're just going to sit in silence. We're just going to sit quietly. Listen for the voice of the Father. As you, as you come and, and you partake, listen for the voice of the Father. They're going to play through one song after that, and I'll come back up and, and lead us through communion. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you that prayer was made to be an embrace. I thank you that you know what we need before we come. And God, I pray you would interrupt this morning our agenda, our expectations, what we think is supposed to happen, what we think you're doing, God. And I pray you would speak with clarity this morning. In the coming days, in this year that's ahead of us, as a church, as a society, God, as, as a society so full of believing people, God, I pray that you would speak. God, I pray for a, a season of, of renewal in which we are hearing your voice. God, it is so difficult for us amid all the noise of life to hear you speaking, God, but I pray you'd quiet us today in your presence. In Jesus' name. So let's just sit in silence for a moment before we, we begin.